Well, hello and welcome to the Transfix Take On. I'm your host, Jenny Ruiz, and today I'm joined by Transfix's Senior Director of Freight Market Intelligence, Paul Pozumski. And new to the podcast, we welcome Kathy Roberson, who is a supply chain writer and research analyst for the Journal of Commerce, otherwise known as JOC. Now, Kathy pens a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn called Freight Forward, where she writes about the latest news from all ends of the supply chain and more. And today they are both taking on the current state of freight. Not an easy feat, but I am very confident that they can both do it. Welcome to the show, you two. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. So we've got a lot to talk about today. So let's get right into it. Now, as we close out Q2, uh, just to kind of set the stage a little bit, the state of the markets were fairly stagnant with little movement in favor of a market swing. And on our weekly market update, we've been calling this a shipper's market since on Q1 and maybe earlier. Now, rates in May bottomed out at $1.49 per mile, line haul only. Tender rejections are also the lowest they've been, sitting pretty steadily around that 3% mark nationwide. And what was expected to bring some volatility to the market with respect to DOT Blitz Week and Memorial Day weekend didn't perform as we've seen in normal years. So I throw this to both of you. Do you think that May's performance ended up surprising you or was it fairly on par with where you thought it might land? So I can start that. Uh, basically, the first half of this year has been made out of two very distinct periods. Uh, Q1 uh, was... Uh, unilaterally a bearish quarter. Uh, we forecasted it to be, uh, for rates to be down, uh, but we were surprised alongside most of the other participants by the size of the move. So uh, for the record, uh, tracking rates fell almost 25%, which is one of the biggest moves on records. Um, even more surprising considering the fact that this move happen after one almost a one full year of rates going lower and without really any major event like covid happening uh, the second quarter was a little bit more ambiguous so we also forecasted that rates on average would go lower and to an extent we were right and when i, I say to an extent uh, i mean that national rates continue to weaken although at a much slower pace. But that reality was made out of kind of two very different trends. Most of the country, and especially the North, was um, a continue on this trend of weakness, whereas certain pockets, the Southeast, the West and the South, uh, showed a lot more strength. And I would say that although we called for dispersion across the country between high performance and low performance area, we didn't quite expect the West and the South to be that strong. Okay, so if I can add to that, I mean, not only have the trucking rates been kind of low, uh, so as air, air freight rates, uh, ocean freight rates, rail freight, and so on. But the only thing that hasn't really declined is those parcel rates. And that's a total different beast unto itself. Let's just put it that way. But I agree. I mean, I look at the first half of this year as kind of uh, being in a holding pattern. It seems to me like everyone was waiting for something to happen. Right. And we did have a few things happen. We saw a tentative agreement uh, between the West Coast port workers 
with the PMA. Mm -hmm. That just happened within the past couple of weeks. Uh, we also saw the FedEx pilots come to a tentative agreement with FedEx. Um, I've, I've started calling this year the year of uh, labor agreements or the, the year of unions. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we're still in that holding pattern, still waiting to hear what happens with uh, between UPS and the Teamsters. We have some other labor negotiations going on at the moment, yellow, and I think ABF may have come to a tentative agreement, I'm not sure, mm -hmm. T-Force and so on. So we're all waiting to see what happens from those, but we're also waiting about on um, the market, the economy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, are we gonna go into a recession? Are we not? I noticed, um, that chairman, the, uh, the Federal Reserve Board Chairman Powell has uh, said that, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see two more rate hikes this year. And that's going to be interesting to see if that happens and what impact that will cause. Right. Yeah, no, well, absolutely. And I want to get into that. But, mm -hmm. you know, with regards to this being kind of the year of unions, Kathy, for you, where do you think, what do you think this tells us about where the supply chain currently sits? Because this obviously feels like it's been a long time coming for both, you know, port workers, for air, air, air freight. Where do you think we are right now? Are we kind of at a turning point? It certainly feels like it. Yeah. Um, you know, with the union con uh, negotiations, keep in mind the uh, West Coast, the ILWU and the PMA, uh, that contract expired in 2021. Hmm. Okay. And the FedEx contract expired in 2021. But there is this, almost if, if you want to call it this, a, a gentleman's agreement, you know, the workers would keep working because we were in the midst of the pandemic still. Hmm. And so the workers did keep working, but they also expected to be compensated for holding off on that negotiation and they're not the only ones that's held off mm -hmm. um so you know that labor cost and we're also still faced with a labor shortage across the supply chain as well mm -hmm. so i think moving forward we are going to start we're going to see higher cost throughout the supply chain mm -hmm. uh you know labor warehousing transportation and so on yeah yeah. You know, Paul, last we spoke in Q1, uh, you, speaking of the Fed, correctly predicted that they would raise rates by another 25 basis points. And you were concerned that uh, hyperinflation may take place as a result if this continued, which, you know, if if it will continue with these next two rate hikes, we'll see. Now, as we record this, we're just a week out before the Fed meets again to decide if they'll set another increase. But where we sit today, there's about a 60, 65 percent probability of raising uh of raising rates for July, but I'm hearing that the likelihood could closer to the meeting could mean no rate increases and a larger pause for up to three years. Uh, Paul, for you, where did Q2 net out with regards to how the Fed handled inflation? So the Q2 was actually, uh, as well as Q1, uh, we were, we had a spell of high predictability uh, moves from the Fed. So the Fed uh, expressed the rules of the game very clearly. And although there was a moment of doubt in Q1 where the financial system was stressed with SVB, First Republic, and a few others, where the markets briefly speculated that the Fed would stop raising rates 
for a while to let the system settle. Um, that uh, speculation ended very quickly. And so far, it was relatively easy to forecast, you know, what the Fed would do, including the last action, which was last week, where they paused uh, uh, hiking rates. Now, as things stand today, the, the odds for another hike in July stand at about 75 to 80 percent. So there is an overwhelming consensus that the Fed is going to raise rates in July as of today. Those rates, you're right, Jenny, change the closer we get to the uh, date of the event itself. But the interesting point is that as things stand today, markets are not pricing a second rate hike until the end of the year. So the majority consensus would be for a rate hike in July and pretty much nothing else for the rest of the year. Now, there is a lot of wishful thinking in that statement because, as you remember, we had a conversation a couple of months ago about, you know, market expectations against um, uh, against the, the core trends of inflation. It is true that nominal inflation uh, went down recently and actually surprised on a downside. We are now at about 4%, okay, CPI, PPI, all those uh, indicators are, are going in the same direction. But at the same time, the last inflation number showed something very worrying. They showed core inflations, the one that doesn't account for fuel and some volatile things, up significantly, in fact, up about 5.3%. So when I um, uh, state that the hope for one hike and infinite pause uh, are, are more, uh, are just hopes, it's based on those core trends, which before um, um, you know, that uh, hyperinflation that we've experienced were what the Fed was looking at. Fed was primarily looking at core inflation. Now, with inflation at eight, nine, 10%, everything being up, it didn't matter that much what the core was doing against the rest. But now that we get to more reasonable uh, 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 levels of inflation overall, the core inflation is what will probably drive the Fed policies. And as things stand, if I had to make yet another prediction to bet my house, I would probably say that uh, it's more likely for the Fed to actually exercise what they announced, uh, two rate hikes before the end of the year, and be on standby for the rest of 2024, giving themselves the option to actually cut rates earlier, which is pretty much what Chairman Powell said. They said that now, as opposed to a uh, consistent trend, their decisions are becoming more short-term data focused. And what I believe will probably drive the short-term focus will be core inflation trends, which are not good. Kathy, for you, what are you seeing on your end with regards to how the Fed has handled inflation and its larger impact on the supply chain? I think with each of the, the rate increases that just makes cost go up even more. Mm -hmm. uh, the ability to borrow, the particularly when you look at shippers uh, towards the replenishing inventories. Uh, now they're not going, you know, they're not going gangbusters on replenishing inventory. Instead, they're kind of uh, ordering what they need, you know, mm -hmm. new seasonal 
stuff. Right. But borrowing money to pay for that is getting costlier. Mm -hmm. And then to bring it in, you know, again, this all the supply chain cost added to that. So it's it's getting more difficult for mm -hmm. shippers. And um, you know, those payments and such as that. So they're, you know, what do good shippers do? They kind of pass that on to their customers. Uh, that whole domino effect, you know, that supply chains have is just pass that cost all the way down to the consumer at the end of the day. So again, you know, I keep, I keep bling, bringing up recession because that's what I get asked a lot is, you know, in your opinion, you know, <laughs> yeah. are we um, heading towards a recession? And I'm not an economist by any means. I like to call myself an armchair economist, but um <laughs> I, you know, I abide by the, the classic definition of a recession, which is two consecutive uh, quarters of uh, negative growth, GDP growth. And yeah. I really don't see that happening at the end of this quarter. So for it to, to really occur, we're going to have to see it in the second half of the year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know because it's looking like peak season is going to be a rather muted you know, not much of a peak season. Everyone has pegged their expectations, their hopes of a much strong, well, not much stronger, but a stronger second half as compared to first half. Not seeing much of that either. So fingers crossed, you know, that we do see some pickup. Yeah, fingers crossed indeed. I mean, you know, yeah. even with, with produce season, it's certainly something that started off really slow. Yeah. And now we're just starting to see in what are we in June, July, right? These this uptick in produce uh with regards to uh the southeast and and the exactly. West and the south. So like it's almost like we're in this new cycle of the market and, and we just don't know how to adjust to it yet, right? Now that's a very good point. Uh you're you're exactly right. I mean, here in Georgia, uh the weather has really impacted the uh the produce season. Yeah. I mean Peaches were wiped out. You know, the peach crop was basically wiped out. However, we're beginning to see some stuff come in. Uh, but yeah, it's like a month or two, sometimes three months yeah. behind where it's traditionally been. So maybe for the overall supply chain market, maybe that's what we'll end up seeing as well. Well, while we're here, do either of you see an uptick in volume related to produce during maybe the earlier part of Q3? Or do you feel like July 4th is going to be kind of like that last hurrah for a big boom of produce? I say no, but I want to hear what, what you both think. <laughs> I think it's going to be later in July. Yeah. When we see the um, the big tick tick up. Yeah. I mean, at least for this area, the, yeah. the southeast area. So I, I don't see yet at the granular level uh, much hope for, you know, a pickup in produce season overall. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of dispersion. So we are starting finally after a few decades of uh, trending, you know, climate change indicators. Uh, we start to see a dislocation of the growing season between the east and the west. I mean, this has been going on basically uh, since the 60s, and it is a straight line. And now, only now we are starting to adjust to that thinking that mm. the growing season in the West is going to be delayed by 
probably two to three weeks, if not four, whereas the growing season in the East is actually happening early. So uh, this um, is a, uh, I would say a relatively predictable change, but what is not predictable is what Katie mentioned, all the side effects of that change of patterns with um, a produce season across the US that is not a produce season anymore. It's made of uh, different episodes and uh, um, how could I say cut by major climatic events. And this explains partly the conversation, continues the conversation that we had before, Jenny, about what hap happens across the border. Uh, Mexico right. is increasingly now compensating for the anomalies uh, of the U.S. Uh, produce season. And that explains why, for instance, the South is still hot in terms of rates and why there is a significant, I would say, long-term trend for transportation to develop across the border, yeah. whether it's the produce season, but also a bunch of other things, including nearshoring, you know, uh, 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 change in, different changes in supply chain and so on and so forth. Now, as a side note, um, as a complement to, to the description that Katie gave um, uh, about what happens with, with rates in, in, in the South, the interesting fact that I would say is relatively new this year is that the produ produce season started in the West, rates stay high, and we see a sort of contagion with the South, which is the produce season from Mexico. So we see a pull of strength in rates that uh, goes from almost the West Coast to the South. Um, and I, again, if uh, the past is anything to go by, uh, uh, if the current trends, we, we extrapolate them forward, this is more likely to happen uh, from now on on a regular basis. I mean, is this not exciting news, right? Like where who, where on the bingo card was it that Mexico was going to be the dark horse of um, just a market market share for for growth right across the US? I didn't see this, but I feel like did you did you guys see that this was going to happen? Aren't they their factories now being moved to Mexico as well? You know, it's interesting with Mexico. I mean, there's been factories moving to Mexico for years. Mm. I mean, ever since NAFTA, you know, came into being back in the 90s, we started yeah. seeing a lot more of the automotive uh, plants right. opening up facilities down there. Uh, electronics, you know, uh, TVs, appliances, yeah. and so on and so forth. And I think we're seeing a growth pick up once again. Uh, whether that's near shoring, possible. It, it it could be just finding labor, possible. Right. I I am still kind of teetering on the whole near shoring. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, talking to some of the property uh, management firms, uh, they they've have told me that warehouses are cram packed along the. U.S. Mexican border, and they're having to go and build more warehousing. So that does kind of speak a good bit to the nearshoring. But also keep in mind, to nearshore, it takes time um, to really accomplish something such as that as well. You just can't up and decide one day. Yep, cutting off one Asian country, and I'm going to move it all to Mexico. 
Yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to do that. No, you can't. But <laughs> what y'all are saying, though, I mean, the, um, the opportunities are great. They yeah. really are great uh, to have more, you know, the produce and other stuff coming in across the border. And it bodes very well for the trucking industry, which has been in a massive hurt for, um, for a while. That's right. Yeah. I would, I would entirely agree. Uh, Neosuring is a very long-term trend and yeah. it's highly conditional on many things. I mean, one of the uh, interesting example is uh, when uh, a lot of U.S. companies tries to move production from China to India. That is a kind of cautionary tale of how difficult it is to actually move production from countries where you build an infrastructure, an entire infrastructure uh, for, for decades. That being said, I would say that I'm probably more bullish on nearshoring in Mexico, if anything, because by default, uh, the world seems to be changing in that direction. So um, um, whether whether it makes uh, economic sense in every case to nearshore, for instance, uh, high tech production in Mexico tomorrow, I don't know. But um, if the options are becoming fewer and fewer, then certainly that long-term process that is conditional to many things gets accelerated. So from what I see today, Mexico has a great opportunity to capture some of that nearshoring trend. How much will, will they capture? Depends on many things, including the ability, their ability to actually set up the right conditions for and the infrastructure for 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 this production to happen, but it's definitely a I would say a bet worth making because it's not only one trend as well. If it was only nearshoring, it would be more conditional. But between almost the unpredictable, unpred you know, supply during produce season that will increase uh, nearshoring of other industrial kind of basic trends. Uh, I think Mexico will likely be a, a relatively hot market for the next few years at least. We've got two things now that Paul is betting the house on. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hear it. Now, with regard, while we're here with regard to container volume, Kathy, you noted in a recent Freight Forward newsletter that, quote, carriers and forwarders reported modest increases in May bookings from importers, which attributed to companies replenishing inventory uh, after months of destocking. Um, and these numbers can be read as support for the growing expectations of an actual peak season in the third quarter. Let's unpack this, right? Like help help our audience understand what this means to inland freight and whether we'll see that uptick in volume for uh, Q3 and maybe Q4. Okay, so there has been a, a sequential increase in volumes. Uh, I mean, the year-over-year -year numbers still stink, but sequ sequentially, yes, like I said earlier, uh, shippers, retailers, whomever, um, they are restocking, but they're being very cautious mm. as to how they're restocking. Like I said, they're not going gangbusters like they have uh, during the pandemic and such. They're trying to, they're, they're being very careful not to overdo it. But they also certainly don't want to underdo it. I think one of the issues that shippers face these days is that whole forecasting tool. To uh, They're looking towards investing that in forecasting tool. But I digress. Going back to how this is impacting the inland uh, movements, there's little bumps. Mm. I mean, you know, there's, there's little bumps. It's not a massive by any means, 
but there is some on the uh, on the trade lanes, you know, west uh, from L.A., Long Beach to Chicago and so on. But because of the situation, the labor situation over the past year, year and a half or so, a lot of volume has also shifted to the East Coast. And you're seeing this volume coming in primarily, well, not primarily, but a lot of it from Savannah, Charleston, New York, New Jersey um, area as well. Mm -hmm. So for the truck, uh, truckers and the rail, they are they are experiencing some bumps, but not near as what it was like just yeah. a couple of years ago. Or I would venture to say just prior to the pandemic. Um, now, a lot of this also is not only seasonal um, uh, inventory, but also we have some back to school stuff that's mixed in with that. And um, and it was funny because I just read today that Amazon announced their Prime Days being July 11th and 12th. And I'm like, well, that explains all the Amazon trucks <laughs> I saw over the weekend yeah. uh, on my way home from Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I mean, that there were so many of them. It was super crazy. Yeah. But um, so we might see a little bit of a, a bump from that as well. Mm. And, you know, some of that inventory we, we saw coming in from into the ports could very well have been Amazon as well. Okay. So, you know, like I said, a bump, but nothing earth shattering. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry too. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to wrap up and, and if you'll indulge what we typically do here after each episode is get into kind of a crystal ball discussion, if you will. So I'm not holding either of you accountable to any of these things. This is purely for discussion purposes, but um, let's start with if you could predict when this quote big market swing, I say that very lightly, uh, in favor of carriers will happen. When do you think, uh, when do you think it'll be and how do you think shippers should prepare slash do you think shippers are prepared? So, um, I can start this, but considering I've already bet my house twice, <laughs> I will, in one session, I'll try to, I'll try to be a, a conservative on this one. So. Um, our view at Transfix is that there is more weakness ahead. Uh, we held this view for a long time. Uh, this is based on a number of trends, some macro trends. We, we talk about recession. You know, the New York Fed odds of recession now are above 80%. For context, this hasn't happened in 40 years. Now, I understand this indicator is only looking at short-term and long-term rates. It doesn't necessarily have an absolute predictive power, but nonetheless, most of the financial institutions expect some form of deep or shallow recession in the next two quarters. I would agree with that statement. We are seeing already at the macro level, uh, you know, the PMIs, the, the, we have the, the seventh PMI in the recessionary territory. We talk about the stocks. There was a, a minor restocking, but consumption is barely hanging and barely hanging at the price of a abnormal and an unseasonal increase in credit, especially revolving credit. So there is a lot of tension in the system. And if we look at our industry and the logistic change across the board, you know, even at the basic, you know, uh, 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 indicators, neutral indicators, Class eight orders are still actually going up. We we have a a, a load book of about two hundred thousand. I think it's one hundred eighty nine thousand, uh, which 
is about seven months of production. I'm not even talking upstream about C, where the the, the spread is is uh, a widening exponentially. I believe that supply is expected to grow four percent and demand two percent. I'm talking about shifts um, in 2023 and in 2024. Supply is expanding to seven percent and growth to three percent. So basically, capacity in, in, continues to increase with very little end in sight, and demand at best is stable, or I would say almost artificially stable. And, uh, and if we account for credit probably weakening in an environment that we discuss where rates are gonna be uh, going higher or staying high for longer. So in short, unlikely that we would see a pickup in demand that would absorb this glut in the next two quarters. That being said, and this is where I, I put some moderation so I don't lose three houses in a row, there is a <laughs> phenomenon that is happening that is actually also unprecedented. We have never been in a tracking recession for a year and a half with full capacity on, which means that a capacity reduction is imminent, and we are certainly seeing anecdotal example of that happening meaning that at some point supply will have to adjust and we think the point is now as all those conditions are uh, maintaining the pressure on the industry and people cannot hold hold it together anymore and are throwing the towel small operators as well as big operators and we certainly heard you know several names either throwing the towel or about to throw the towel so because of that even though we continue to feel more weakness in the next two quarters, there is a chance that if capacity adjusts brutally, for instance, uh, 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 Katie mentioned yellow, you know, a month ago, nobody thought that they might go down. Now there is a talk, you know, Citi consider that hypothesis, and this is eight or 9% of the LTL market, right? Yeah. But there are other players in similar situations. So should big players start to exit the market, Capacity could could go down very fast, and we could see a V-shaped recovery of rates, not driven by demand, but driven by simply a, a, a significant reduction in capacity. Hmm. Should this happen, what we have to keep in mind is that what we're seeing now with regions moving um, in opposite direction in terms of rates, should happen to an even bigger extent. We should see more dispersion and volatility with potentially the West and the South rates going even higher and the Midwest barely benefiting from the reduction in uh, capacity. So um, not, a, a, I would say a, the aggregate number should probably go down rates for the next two quarters, mm. but with a major risk for brutal adjustments and regional dislocations. Okay, so I got a question for you then. So next year, yeah, I'm going to ask you to extend your crystal ball <laughs> into next year because, all right, so say we enter a shallow re recession towards the end of this year, possibly first part of 2024. How long does it last? When does demand? And demand for me is me, the consumer, and the shipper. When does that pick up? When do we start calling our, our good buddies at the trucking companies or Transfix going, hey, help? 
So this is the million dollar question, Katie. And I think the true, um, the, the, the answer is nobody really knows. The reason why nobody knows is because although we can talk about recessions in an aspirational way, and this is what the Fed is conveying when they talk about soft landing, you know, I don't know what soft landing is. And for sure, I have very little confidence that the Fed can deliver a recession or, or a customized recession, a soft recession on demand. So typically when a recession starts, that's all we know, that he has started and he has a mind of its own and the path that nobody knows ahead. My feeling, my intuition, and uh, I want to preface that by saying that I am no tracking expert in any shape or form. My experience in tracking is rather small, but I do have a long experience in the markets, in the financial markets. And uh, having lived through a couple of such recessions, I know that one thing that when we enter them, they are often a factor of the pressures that were built into the systems before we entered. What I mean by this is that what I see our system, uh, how when, when I see how our system performs right now, I am worried about the, 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 the depth of the recession. Once again, we talk about the consumers. They've been holding you know, uh, our economy together for a long time, but at a very high cost at the cost of a debt that's been increasing systematically, including in the first quarter of this year, which is once again, unprecedented for the last 20 years, people have been paying their credit card debts in the first quarter of the following year. That hasn't happened in 2023. And we are building pressure into the system in the same way as in the trucking industry, you know, rates are going lower and lower, margins are going lower and lower and sometimes negative. People hold it together, but this is only increasing the pressure. Capacity is still high. Um, you know, rejection rates are at two or three percent, and even when they bounce, they bounce at three or four percent. That's telling us where we're at. We're talking about we saw a bounce during the OT week. It was insignificant in the big scheme of things. So the system has built so much pressure that if we were to have a recession, that recession could be anything but shallow. Now, we might be able to avoid it and you know deal with this glut over you know a soft period of time, a long soft period of time. But again, this is basically just aspirational, and frankly, I have no idea whether this would, you know, how this would play out. Well, that that was quite a bit to to figure out. I mean, you took him into 2024. I wasn't even thinking about that, but I love that you took him there. Um, as we close out, last question for both of you. I know we've covered a lot today with regards to, um, you know, inflation, recession, uh, and a pending carrier purge that could happen for Q3 and I think beyond. Are there any other macroeconomic factors that either of you are really keeping a close eye on, whether it's, you know, fuel in the EU or, or oil reserve in the EU, things like that? For me, I, 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 I keep watch on uh, the the PMI. Yeah, I, I think. And even into Q3, uh, Q3 and Q4, because a lot of that, and, and that's usually a very quiet time anyway for manufacturers. Mm -hmm. But if you start seeing an upswing, could mean 2024 may not be so bad at all. Um, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic, but I have my doubts as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that inflation, 
is is a big uh, a big worry and and I do appreciate the conversation you know the discussion that Paul had on that I, I certainly learned a good bit there um, but other than that uh, you know the standard economic yeah. data that's yeah. out there as well as some of um, the indices uh, that I follow also yeah. yeah what about for you Paul I would agree I mean there, there isn't anything specific uh, uh, that that I follow, I would say that my my current focus is mostly, uh, as Katie said, on inflation, because ultimately this is what's driving the Fed's policies and whether we're going to end up, you know, in a constrained financial system that will lead to a recession or not. So I think the, especially core inflation, which I, I I mentioned, is kind of getting wild right now. This is one of the main indicators that I'm watching as well. Uh, for me, in terms of rates and where our industry is going one thing that i'm watching closely as well is supply you know yeah. what is going to happen to yell what is going to happen to next what is going to happen to several big players and smaller players right. uh, when will we see you know a reduction a significant reduction in supply that could rebalance the industry um again there is a there are anecdotal uh, facts here that show that maybe that has started already, but on paper, in terms of tracking employment, even warehouse employment, uh, class eight and everything else, not much has happened. You know, the industry is still kind of at capacity. We are, we, we have a similar capacity to COVID to put things into perspective, mm. only uh, nothing else is the same in terms of demand then. Mm. So that's, I'm, I'm, I'm following supply. All right. Well, another fascinating conversation in the books. You can go and follow Kathy Robertson on LinkedIn. Please subscribe to her newsletter, Freight Forward. It is an incredible way to understand what is happening in the overall sector of the supply chain, not just inland freight. And then as well, you can see Paul Pozhemsky on JOC.com on July 11th at 2 p.m., who is going to be holding a webinar in regards to preparing for the unpredictable macro and micro insights to keep shippers ahead of the market. Thank you so much, you two, for a great conversation today. And let's see where we land in Q3. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change. Thank <laughs> you.